0: Good morning, everyone, and good morning to everyone watching online uh, through their website, app, Facebook, or wherever you're watching. Uh, so happy that you're joining us today. Uh, for all of you from our Quakertown campus that are watching, uh, one of the things that we want you to be aware of is that you can actually watch our Quakertown services uh, on a replay throughout the week, so you want to check that out as well. And good morning to all of our Calvary kids, our Calvary students, and Calvary Bridge families, And if you're new here today or visiting, welcome. One of the things you need to know is that we have been in the middle of a series that we're calling Be the Countercultural Church. And in this series, we've taken a look at a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church in a city called Corinth. And we've studied different things in that letter. And then as we were studying this letter, we got to a description of love. We got to chapter 13, and we went through this whole description of love, and then we got to the end of that chapter, and we were giving this interesting grouping. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you one. Uh, We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, and so we'd love to give you a Bible. It's free. It's our gift to you. 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of it, verse 13 says this. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This grouping, this trio, this Pauline triad, if you will, uh, is something that is seen over and over and over again in Paul's writings. And it becomes almost the measuring stick by which we can measure our spiritual maturity. And so we spent some time looking at love and oftentimes in church, you will look at faith and you will describe what faith is, but we decided to just park and just take a look at hope for a little bit. We wanted to examine this whole concept of hope and what does it mean to have hope when it comes to the gospel? You see, hope, when it comes to our culture, hope is probably more more in line with wishing. Hope, when it comes to our culture, is more in line to how strongly we desire something. But hope in the Bible has a different meaning. You see, if we were to look at the word used for hope in this verse, what we would discover is that it is more synonymous to the word trust. Biblical hope, the hope of the gospel, is trusting in God and trusting that God will keep his promises. And so we are to live out lives filled with hope. But the reality is, is that we as people can impact the hope of others. And so we can go along in life and we can either hinder hope in someone's life, or we can help bring hope into someone's life. And so we're going to focus on what it means to be a hope helper. What does it mean to be a hope helper? And we're going to take a look at two people in the Bible. We're going to take a look at two companions of Paul. Their names are Barnabas and Silas. You see, Paul didn't just write letters. He wrote multiple letters to different churches, but he also went around on these different journeys. And he went and visited these different cities and these different churches. And we read about that in the book of Acts. And that first chunk of of, of stories about these journeys, Paul is walking around. He's traveling with this guy named Barnabas. They get into a fight. And they split up, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And then that second chunk of journeys, that second chunk of stories, is done with a man named Silas. The interesting thing about both Barnabas and Silas is that they are both hope helpers. But what is a hope helper? I'm using this term. What, what does that mean? What, what are we talking about when we're talking about hope helper? A hope helper is an encourager. It's an encourager. Merriam Webster defines encourage as this to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. An encourager inspires hope in others. And as we look at both Barnabas and Silas, we will learn that they actually inspire hope in the lives of different people. So let's jump into some stories about them. Let's take a look at them. We're gonna take a look at Barnabas first. We learn about Barnabas in Acts chapter four. We're introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter four. What we learn about Barnabas is this. Barnabas is not actually his name. His name is Joseph. Barnabas is a nickname. It means son of encouragement. He's such an encourager that he's given this nickname, Barnabas. Barnabas uses his encourager, uses this role of a hope helper to impact Paul's life. What we need to understand is that Paul wasn't always Paul. At one point, Paul was Saul. Saul was a religious leader for the Jewish people, and he was known for his fervor in his religious pursuit. He was known for persecuting the early church, for persecuting those who were Christians, for those who were following Jesus, for for imprisoning them, for killing them. He was known and feared by the early church. Saul has an encounter with Jesus and his life is completely changed from that point on. And Saul eventually is given a new name, Paul. Well, after this encounter, Saul, who is now Paul, wants to go and continue the work of the gospel. He goes to visit the disciples He goes to visit the people who were hanging with Jesus, who who knew Jesus. He goes to visit these apostles, and they're not believing him. In fact, they're a little scared. They think this is a setup. They don't want to interact with him. Enter Barnabas into the scene. Barnabas sees the good in Paul. Barnabas doesn't care about all that happened before. Barnabas only cares about the fact that Paul has now met Jesus and his life is changed. Barnabas does something radical. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, we see this. It's talking about Saul, Paul. Verse 26, we say, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas and and the, the picture we get in it literally grabs Paul. Brings them to the disciples, brings them to them and says, what is going on? This guy is legit. He is the real deal. He sticks up for someone that everyone had turned their their backs on. He looks at, everyone is looking down on Saul. Barnabas only sees Paul the way that Jesus sees him. You see, hope helpers see the good in others. They see the work of the gospel in others. They don't focus on all the negatives of the past. Hope helpers see the good in others. And because Barnabas was willing to go before and sacrifice his own reputation by sticking up for Saul, who is now going to be Paul, everything changed. And Paul would go on and become, probably in many people's minds, the second greatest influence on the church outside of Jesus. Because Barnabas was willing to see someone the way that Jesus sees them. Interestingly enough, this actually was the reason behind Paul and Barnabas splitting up. You see, if we were to fast forward a little bit, Barnabas would do the same exact thing, except this time it's Paul who is not accepting someone. This time it's a young man named Mark. Barnabas sees the good in Mark and he decides to stick up for him to the point where they get into such a fight that Paul leaves and takes another companion. He takes Silas and Barnabas goes with Mark. Amazingly, interestingly enough, the result of that is that Mark will eventually become a companion of Paul and impact the gospel in his own way. Hope helpers see the good in others. Hope helpers see others the way that Jesus sees them. But what about this Silas guy? You know, I said that Paul has this fight with Barnabas and he goes off with Silas because before that it's Paul and Barnabas this, Paul and Barnabas that. Then after that, it's Paul and Silas this, Paul and Silas that. Silas in his own right is an encourager as well. He is a hope helper. We actually meet Silas before that split. We meet him in another story. Here's what's happening. There's a church in Antioch and they're going through some stuff. And so the disciples decide to send them a letter to clarify some of the news of the gospel. They're struggling with all these rules. The church is struggling with all these rules that have been attached to the gospel, and they send a letter to clarify something. But they're not content with just sending the letter. They send Silas and another guy named Barsabbas to go and speak on their behalf. In Acts chapter 15, we see this. Acts chapter 15, verse 22 Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. So we're going to skip a little bit and go to verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered their church together and delivered the letter. Look at the result. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage And strengthen the believers. The second thing we learn about hope helpers is this. The first thing we learn is that hope helpers see the good in others. The second thing we learn is this. Hope helpers speak the good of the message. Hope helpers speak the good of the message. As followers of Jesus, we are called to speak the gospel we are called to speak the good news. We are called to speak this message that is filled with goodness for our world. But at times what I think is necessary is, I think it's necessary to understand the bad news in order to understand the good news. Because I don't think you can fully understand how good the good news is unless you understand the bad news. You see, hope helpers point to the gospel. They speak the good news. Paul wrote another letter to a church in Ephesus called Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In what you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desire and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That is the bad news. The bad news is that all of us have sinned. Sin is when we do something that God doesn't want us to do or we don't do something that God wants us to do. And everyone throughout human history, you, myself, every single person has sinned. And when we sin, we are subjected to God's wrath. There is a very real consequence of death, a very real consequence of hell. We enter into the story with bad news. Verse four but because of his great love for us, God, but because of his great love for us, God, the story begins bad. The story begins with hopelessness. The story begins in this utter lack of hope. We are dead. There is nothing going on, but Because of his great love, God, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of all that's going around us in our world, there may be a need for a church to rise up and say, but because of his great love, God... Not by works, so that no one can boast. Hope helpers look around and they see what is going on in our culture. They see any of the brokenness, they see any of the hopelessness and they point to the solution. They point to Jesus. They point to the good news. They point to the gospel. In the midst of hurt and pain, maybe it's time for the church to stand up and say, but God, but God in the fullness of his love sent his son. Hope helpers speak the good of the message. So we learned a little bit so far about Silas and we learned a little bit so far about Barnabas. And what we learned so far is that these encouragers, these hope helpers teach us two things. Hope helpers see the good in others and hope helpers speak the good in the message. And then finally, what we understand is this. Hope helpers understand the good of the situation. They see the good in others. They speak the good of the message and they understand the good of the situation. Paul and Silas go on. They go and have these journeys. They go on and visit other churches. And at one point in their life, they are arrested. They are arrested unjustly and they are thrown in jail. They're tossed into jail. They are not just tossed into jail. They are beaten and flogged, tossed in and shackled. This is is not a good situation for them. In the midst of a very painful situation, in the midst of something that is going completely wrong, listen to their response. Listen to their response. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They're beaten, they're flogged, they're thrown into jail, and they decide to have a hymn sing. There they are, and everyone is listening. They understood that God is still God. They understood that God was still in control. The reality is, is that we are never promised that we will not face hardships. We are never promised that we will not face difficulties. We are never promised that there won't be trials in our life. But in Matthew 28, God through his son, Jesus promised that he would be with us always. He would be with us always. And so in the midst of an agonizing pain in a jail, Paul and Silas realize that they are not alone, that their God is still in control, and they respond by singing praises to their God. And if you were to read a little bit more, what you would learn is that this story goes in a miraculous turn. And what happens as a result of these hope helpers understanding the truth of the situation around them is that the jailer and his family give their lives to Christ and lives are changed. Hope helpers understand the good of the situation. I was thinking about this and I was like, that sounds really good when it comes to the Bible. I mean, Paul and Silas are supposed to do that because they're in the Bible. That's kind of what people are supposed to do if they're in the Bible, right? But how does that look today? What does that look like today? What kind of faith does a person today have that can actually stand up in the midst of such a, horrible situation and actually bring hope to others by understanding the truth of the situation. And I was thinking about it and I was thinking about it. And finally, I thought about it. And I thought of a friend of mine, a friend of mine named Wes. Wes Connington, some of you may have had the privilege of either meeting him or seeing him about a year ago. He came and visited Calvary Church. He did some uh, discipleship training uh, called Three Relationship Discipleship. And he also preached at Calvary. Wes is a friend of mine, he's a friend of Jay's, he's a friend of a bunch of us here at Calvary. After he left us, after visiting us, he went and actually moved to Idaho. Shortly after moving to Idaho, he goes in and visits his doctor and his doctor tells him that he has stage four cancer. West currently, unless a miracle happens, has about a year to live. And I'm gonna be honest with you. My reaction to that was, I don't get it. My reaction to that was, here's someone who's doing everything the way it's supposed to be. Here's someone who's impacting other people's with the lives of the gospel. I don't get it. And I was upset. And I'm going to be honest, at that point, I probably needed some encouragement. And the one who provided it was actually the one going through the difficult situation. The one who actually I should have been encouraging was the one who provided encouragement to me. After finding out that he only had about a year to live, here's what Wes posted on his Facebook page contemplating what the next year would be like his final year. He said, here's what I'm not pursuing experiences. I have no desire to visit one last beautiful place or go on some adventure that I've always wanted. I have heaven waiting for me. What can this world possibly offer compared to that? We love and adore you all, but we will use whatever time we have less left as a complete Coddington drive to move the kingdom of God forward. Is there any pursuit that can really outlast that? In the midst of literally life ending news, Wes chose to be a hope helper. And actually understand that God is still God, that God is still on his throne, that God gave him a mission and he would live out that mission to his dying day. And because of his understanding of the situation, he brought hope into my life when I needed that. Hope is something that we so desperately need at times. And at times, maybe the way that we are able to encourage others is when we ourselves go through a difficulty or trial. Hope helpers understand the truth of the situation. So hope helpers see the good in others. They speak the good of the message. And they understand the good of the situation. Barnabas and Silas were both hope helpers, but reality, they had a good example. Over and over again, you see Jesus looking at those who others looked down on, who others scorned, who others rejected. They're exactly the ones that Jesus looked at and loved. Jesus didn't just speak the good message. He is the good message. And Jesus in the garden, in complete agony, praised his father, understanding the good of the situation and trusting his father and said, not my will, but yours be done. And in a moment after that, when someone wanted to just protest what was happening and Peter cuts an ear off a guard's head, Jesus heals that ear and points to the truth of the situation. Hope helpers see like Jesus. They speak the good news of Jesus and they understand the truth of Jesus. What would it look like if we would be a church of hope helpers? What would it look like if we'd be a church of encouragers? What would it look like in a world that is so fractured right now, is so divided right now, and that so much is going on, what would it look like if we rose up and became a church filled with encouragers? What would it look like if we actually saw others the way that Jesus sees them? That we saw the good in others. What would it look like if we decided to be bold and speak the good of the message? In the midst of all that's around us, we rise up strongly and say, but God, but God in all of his love sent Jesus. What would it look like if we did that? What would it look like if we use our own difficulties, our own trials? as ways to speak hope into other people's lives. I would venture to say that if we did that, lives would be changed. So here's what I want to do this week. Every day this week, I want you to pick someone new and I want you to encourage them. Every day this week, encourage one person. That's it. Now, full confession. I preached this last week in Quakertown. Gave the same assignment. Failed miserably at it. I think I encouraged one person the whole week. I now have a second chance. So I'm going to try to do what I'm actually telling you to do this week. One person every day. Let's go and encourage them. Let's be hope helpers. Let's connect with others and impact the lives of others as we continue what Jesus started. Let's bring hope to people who so desperately need it. Let's be the gospel this week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and for your mercy. And we thank you for those around us who encourage us, who point us to the truth of the gospel. Help us to be a church filled with encouragers, Help us to bring hope to people who need it. Lord, give us the awareness, the wisdom, and the courage this week to do just that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.